Dr. Young did say he was certain that a young woman he examined in the past few months has a condition almost, if not identical, to your Miss Chisholm's, down to the length of the common channel, and he chose not to, could not with any degree of confidence for success, operate. I would imagine that, if there is anything definitive to learn by having someone in Memphis, I recommend Davis, examine her, it would be to find out whether or not sphincter work is possible at this point. We doubt it. You take care now, Ed. Living alone there, you take care not to overindulge in your favorite vices. I would complain and urge you to work a little bit at marrying again, but there is a part of me, as you know, that feels like you have always been the loner kind at heart, and that if you could get a bit of relief from wanton urges now and then, you'd be fine. But, I know, small town, etc., etc. I do wish you had some closer poker or drinking buddies than those backwater snobs in your town. Take a vacation and come see us, or hell, just hide out in a hotel and I'll take you out on the town incognito. Yours, Ellis. He tucked the letter into his jacket pocket and took a walk down the path into the woods behind his house. Walking through the yard was like walking through some kind of medieval court, given all the peacocks standing around watching his passage as if he were a strange and sacred cow in their midst. He'd already persuaded the Chisholms to let him take Jane up to Memphis to be looked over there, lied, and said it wouldn't cost anything— that they would consider odd cases for the value of learning more about them in order to treat others down the line. He rounded a corner in the trail and heard something and just did see the sprightly forms of half-grown children bounding away through a thicket like so many frightened deer. A rare sighting of the species Urchinus trespassus, although he knew very well his woods were regularly roamed by boys from nearby farms and even the northernmost neighborhoods in town. He'd seen their rough-shod forts and campsites. That was all fine with him. In his better moods, he'd pretend they were his own wayward, half-wild children, conceived in a sylvan, satirical dream— mythical forest creatures not to be tended like the mortal child. He didn't like knowing the little bastards shot songbirds with their air guns, but he had done the same as a boy. It was rare he heard the rifle or shotgun of a true poacher, and if he'd heard it regular he would have called the sheriff, but so far that hadn't been the case. There were deer and hogs and turkey in here he knew, and— he suspected an ivory bill, maybe a pear. He only hoped some fool boy or man would not shoot one or both of those birds. He heard the call of a peacock deeper in the woods and thought, or them. He crossed the creek where it was shallow and narrow and walked through a little glade and then up a long sloping hill. At the top there was the old gazebo he'd built just after he and Let married, They'd loved to come out here, have a bottle of beer and a picnic. It was high up. You could see out over the woods, just a glimpse of glinting light on the lake a quarter mile west at the end of the property. He knew those same boys, 
and their parents, trespassed to fish there all the time. By now, most knew he didn't spend much time in his own woods. They probably considered it public property for all they cared, and he practically did too, he supposed. As long as he knew he himself had access, and no one the right to tell him otherwise. He sat in the now-neglected gazebo and remembered those Sunday afternoon picnics. No one could reach him there, with her, even if they came calling, even if someone was a dying and a crying. Oh, my Lord, he would not know it.